every one of you. I'm glad to be here this morning with you. I have a couple of things I'd like to go over before we get into the message that uh, I'd like to discuss with you. For those of you who are not here Wednesday or on Facebook, I want to share with you there are going to be some changes just for a little bit here at Living Way Community Church. So what do you mean? Last Wednesday, I was diagnosed with cancer. And the, uh, I have what's called a squamous cell carcinoma of the oral cavity, which means that they're probably going to do surgery and remove part of my tongue and lymph nodes or whatever else may be involved. I will be out of commission for a little bit. Now, we have scans tomorrow and Friday, and uh, they will know the definite plan next uh, Monday as we look at the plan of treatment. Now, I said all that not to bring any kind of attention to me, no whatsoever, because I want everybody to hear this clearly. It's not about who's in this pulpit, it's who's got this church. And that's the Lord God Almighty. And I pray that you support us, support this church, pray for my family and pray for others, as this is happening very fast. But I would like to tell you that there's no safer place to be in the arms of Jesus. And I pray today that as we go through this message, that you will see something that has been revealed to me. And again, I'm not trying to bring attention to myself, because by no means, because I am no better than anybody else. And I want to cross some points that's been brought to my attention this week, as a lot has gone through my mind. You see, we're supposed to be in the book of Revelation, chapter 9, but God began to work on me after we had met with a surgeon on Thursday, and I got a call. And this person called me and told me, they said, I do not understand why things like this happen. And my reply to them was this, that the Bible tells me that the rain and sun falls upon the righteous and the unrighteous. It's not about who you are. God's in total control. And I met with a pastor friend of mine yesterday, and as we were talking, I left. I got a message from a man that I love very dearly. He's been a mentor to me for many years and uh, he, he, he sent me, he said, man, he didn't know any of this was going on. He said, you got to read this article. you got to read what this is happening. And I clicked on it and I went, oh my word. And it was a pastor who had been, or was a pastor, had been preaching for 23 years. And he had left the ministry and now an atheist. Because of all the bad things that had happened in his life. And he wrote a letter that says, why I hate Jesus. And I read that letter, and it destroyed my heart because he made the comment, now listen, that the Jesus that we have created, we have used as a means to an end. And as I read this horrible letter, I had to agree with him a lot of, a lot of points because we have created a God in our own image who thinks handles things in our own way. If you have your Bibles, I ask that you turn with me to the book of Job. To the book of Job. Job chapter 42. This is the last book of Job. And I want to read this text and go back and tell you 
why Job is where he is. The Bible says in Job chapter 42, 1 through 6, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that there's no purpose of yours that can be thwarted. He who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know, or things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear now, and I will speak, I will ask you, and you instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I retract, and I repent in dust and ashes. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, may these words this morning be an encouragement to others to know that you are a God that is in control, and there's no plans of yours that can be thwarted. God, I thank you so much that yet in your grace and mercy, since your son Jesus Christ, who paid a debt he did not owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. And God, I pray today, Lord, that you move in a mighty way that we are understanding that your ways is not our ways. And that, Lord, regardless of what happens tomorrow, you control tomorrow. It's your beautiful name I pray. Amen. As I was reading and thinking about this and the way things God had outlined for me, I could not help but go to the book of Job. You see, we're all familiar with the book of Job, or somewhat familiar, that here this man is, that the Bible says was an upright man, who Satan was allowed to touch his body and family. Now that's something that we can't comprehend nor understand, but I want to go back for a few moments to tell you that as we've gone through Revelation, God allows Satan in the time of tribulation to come upon this earth and roam freely. So even Satan has his limits. But as I was reading this, Job begins to be stricken. And so many have talked about the patience of Job, but after you find out through chapter 3, Job's patience run out. You see, not only does he have a wife that tells him to curse God and die after he has lost his family members, or after he has lost his health, then he loses his family members, he has a wife that turns on him, and then all of a sudden he has three friends that show up and tell him how sorry he is. You've done this. It's your fault. But Job begins to defend himself, and a fourth friend that will show up a little bit later, and he begins to have this discourse with his friends about how he wants to justify himself before God. Then all of a sudden, in chapter 38, God shows up. And as God shows up, he asks Job this, Who are you? Now that seems offensive to most of us, considering the fact that this man has gone through all this. I used to struggle with the book of Job myself, not coming to the understanding that again, God is a God that controls this world, that has this world, that uses this world for His glory and not for mine. And I struggled with this book. But he says, who are you that darkens my counsel without knowledge? You're going to instruct me? 
And through these chapters, God continues to tell Job, I am the one that causes the sun to rise and fall. I am the one that tells the seas where they can go and where they can stop. I am the one. And through all this discourse with God, Job comes to an understanding that I pray that we all get to. Thus Job says this, and let's back up to chapter 42, or from verse 1. After this discourse, Job says this, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Now I want to stop right there for a few moments. Now if you read the book of Job, you'll see that he is acknowledging that of God's attribute. He knows he's in control, but yet he is not submissive to it. Please listen to me. He is not submissive. How many times have we all called and said flippantly that God, I know God's in control, but in our heart we don't know if we believe it or not. God, I know you got this, but I'm worried about it. I know what it means. I know how it feels. But see, the thing that Job had come to an understanding is, is that Job, during this time of discourse, after his everything, his body has been affected by, uh, his health has been affected, his things have been taken away, his family has died, Job develops a sense of pride in his discourse with his friends because he relied a little too much on his flesh. Relied a little too much on his flesh we'd find is a little bit similar to Peter, as in the book of John, Jesus would ask him, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter replied, Lord, you know all things. But as Peter would reply that, you've got to back up and understand that this is the same Peter that said he would never deny Christ. And he did. Because Peter relied a little bit too much on his flesh. Let me tell you what happens here. I believe a lot of us rely a little bit, or a lot, on our flesh. We have created an image of God that is to minister to every single need that we think is a need and every single want, and if he does not do that, he is a bad God. I don't understand why, God. Let me tell you something. I'm not the only one in the world that's been affected by illness. There's some of y'all in here too. I'm not the only one that's going to be affected by death. You have to understand that what he says is, I know you can do all things, and no purpose of yours be thwarted. Everything is in God's plan and control. You see, the problem we have with that is it takes control out of our hands. And we struggle with that. And as a human being, I can promise you, I struggle with it too. But I understand this, that God sees things that I do not see. His vision is greater than mine. I am so but limited in this earth. And he says, I know you can do all things. Listen, God can do whatever he wants to do at any time. Maybe we should learn a little bit of faith from the Hebrew children who stood before the fire, who told King Nebuchadnezzar, if it be God's will, he will deliver me. But if he don't, we're still not going to bow down. Understanding that, you know what? He may deliver me from this fire. Or he may sustain me while I'm in it. And I want to encourage each and every one of you 
that I have a clear understanding of what it sees, what he means when James says, we consider it a joy to go through trials and tribulations. I can promise you that even in the past week, if I didn't have Christ to lean on, I can promise you I'd feel empty. But I know there's someone greater than me. And God is in control. As a man would say, why? I hate Jesus. I began to read a little bit about the story. About all these tragic things he had went through. Why didn't God stop it? I think the question we also need to ask is why does God allow the good things to come in our life too? I think we missed that point. That a man who had created God in his image, he didn't get his answer the way he thought he should. And even though Job would recognize the attribute of God, his divine power and sovereignty, he wasn't submissive to it. Let me ask you this morning, are you submissive to God's will? Do you understand that regardless of what life throws you, that it's part of God's plan? You see, I often think about the verse that people often share. I've heard it once myself this week. God will not place on you more than you can handle. You have no clue because you've never read Scripture if you believe that. Of course God will give you more than you can handle. Because if He wouldn't, why would you rely on Him? I want you to think about this. The text that everybody likes to quote with that, that God will not give you more than you handle, He's talking about temptation in context. He's not talking about trials and tribulation. He's talking about temptation. And I believe that as a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, if the Holy Spirit is in you, you can walk away. Amen? When you're tempted. God will place on you more than you can handle. But I want to look a little further. That no purpose of yours can be thwarted. There's not one of us in this place that has the power to stop God and His plans. Not one of us. And oftentimes I think that we believe that we can speak for God and we say we submit to Him. But I cannot help but go back to the words of Paris Reedhead that said so many people say they want God to be their co-pilot, but that's not going to work. The reason why God cannot be your co-pilot is you just want to sit beside Him and still tell Him where to turn right when He should have turned left. You see, there's always that side state driver, that quarterback driver that always wants to tell you how many bumps you hit. And God, why are you going this way? God cannot be your co-pilot. God can't fit in your back seat, or you can't ride in the back seat either and let God drive. See, here's the deal. When you drive in the back seat, you too much want to look over the shoulder and look behind you to see what's ahead and what's been behind. And tell God you don't like that direction either. But the thing that he said we must understand is we must get out of the car, open the trunk, give God the keys, jump in the trunk, and shut the lid. God, you got this, now you take it. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. 
and he will cry out, Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have declared that which I do not understand. Sometimes we try to make an understanding of God's work. Everybody will often say, why does God do bad things to good people? First of all, I want to tell you this, and listen to me real good, there are no good people. Now this may sound offensive to you, but there are no good people. The only good in people is the Christ that lives within them. There are only alive people and dead people. And we do not have the the power to resurrect a soul. Only Christ can. I am not a good man. The only good I have in me is Christ. But I want you to understand that so many times we think that things happen to good and bad people. Look, all things happen to all people. You see, the book of Ecclesiastes, which was written by the man named Solomon, was the wisest king of Israel. He was David's son. He'd be the last king of a unified Israel, if you will. Lived for 40 years and he would die. And late in his life, or he would be king 40 years later in his years, he'd die. And he, or later in his life, he would write the book of Ecclesiastes. And I encourage people to read that book. Actually, it was one of the last books accepted into the Old Testament canon because we, we, we're so pessimistic. Here this man has this time in his life where he's wise. He asked for wisdom, so God give him more things. But yet, during those things that he had, he always strived for a little bit more. The Bible tells me that the eye is never satisfied with seeing or the ear hearing. Because we fill ourselves with everything we can fill ourselves and it's never enough. You can never have enough money. You can never have enough sex. You can never have enough things. You can never have the perfect job because there's always going to be something greater. And Solomon had it all. He had money. He had a kingdom. He had power. He had wisdom. He had women. And all these things were a void to him because he said, under the sun, they are meaningless. And I get to Ecclesiastes chapter 3 where Solomon, in his bad moment, if you will, there is a time for everything. A time to live, a time to die. A time to sow, a time to reap. Everything has a time that is given by God. Everything. And what Solomon came to realize is that everything that we have in our own self-reliance on flesh will never measure up. We're not going to measure up. We're always going to wonder and struggle because our self-reliance on flesh is total contradictory to our faith in Christ and the Lord. And he says, Therefore, which I declared, which I did not understand. You see, as I said in the first part of it, Job was very prideful. But he become humble because he seen himself as he was. You see, he come to the understanding that God's plans are not his plans. And God's ways were not his ways. And things too wonderful for me which I do not know. Now I want to share with you a couple of stories. You see, we often think 
And here are the tragic things. And we often ask, just like this preacher did, who has left the faith, if you will, why did God allow this to happen? We have got to remove ourselves from the attitude that God works on our timetable and He answers to us. You see, there's a story of a missionary and his wife who went into a tribe and village that didn't want to hear what they had to say. And his wife would tell in her memoirs of how the villagers drug her husband out and beat him profusely with bottles and they could hear the screams. She could hear the screams of them beating her husband. And they beat him so profusely and unrecognizable. And then they threw him in a river like he was a piece of trash. And we think about those horrible people that would do this to a missionary. But see, the rest of the story is like this. You see, the villagers had this belief in their own religion that if a prophet comes from another place and his blood is spilt in the river, then they must listen to the message he has to say. Now, he didn't live to see what happened. But three-quarters of those villagers in that village were saved because of his death. Now, I know that's hard for us to understand. But please remember that God... God created us for His glory. He wasn't created for ours. Many people become to know and have faith in Jesus Christ because of the blood of one martyr. Cannot think of another story in World War II how a B-29 group had been sent out to bomb a city in Japan but they were thick cloud cover. As the pilot circling around for an hour and a half and began to run out of gas, he radioed back, let's just drop the bombs. And they said, no, you cannot. If you do not have a clear path, you cannot drop. Move on to another target, a secondary target. And as he cleared that secondary target and the skies opened up, he dropped the bombs. You see, come to find out that two months earlier, the place that he was supposed to originally bomb, they had moved about a thousand American POWs to that city. You see, I have to believe God knows what he's doing. We do not see what God sees. We do not understand what God knows. And Job, in the midst of what we would consider miserable, I can't imagine... You can't take away the death of your children. You can't, I mean, you can't manage with your health and understand it on your own. And we sit here, why did God do this? To vindicate his name. You see, I want you to understand that the problem this guy was talking about why he hates Jesus of the modern world and why he hates religion is because too many times, too many preachers have preached that it's about your life and having it now and not about God's glory. We have not told the truth. We have taught people that if you can want to be wealthy, you can. You sow that seed. If you're not healthy, the reason that you aren't healthy is because you are not having strong enough faith. It's because that you're not giving enough money. It's because you're not in this group. 
It's because you put your belief in something else. And we have allowed that to happen. And it is a disease. And the message that we should be telling people is that God is in control in all things. And that which we did not deserve, nor deserve now, He give us by His Son on the cross. We don't deserve anything. We deserve God's wrath. We don't run to Him in our sin. We run from Him. And we get what we deserve. And how should we expect God to give us more when He gives us His Son, Jesus Christ? Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. You know, sometimes I've spoken, and I've spoken in my own words and own arrogance, and God has humbled me. Because let me give you some words of advice and encouragement too. Before you say God says something, make sure He did. His word is enough. He says, here now and I will speak and I will ask you and you instruct me. Next verses. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Now, now therefore I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. Let me compare that to the depravity of man. You see, understand that the message of the cross is foolishness to them that perish. But to those that are being saved is the power of God. You see, sometimes we let situations like this harden our hearts. And we blame God for every situation we go through. But the thing that I think we fail to understand is that if we have Christ, we have enough. You see, I'm not guaranteed tomorrow, and for many times I've stood up here and said this, and guys, trust me, I believe what I preach. But Job's seen God for who he was and who he is instead of who he thought he was. See, men think they know Christ, but does Christ know them? See, the thing about our own depravity is we run from God. Because we're built up with so much that we think we know, we refuse to listen. We refuse to believe. But let me tell you this. God can convict, God can move, and God can save. And the one thing about a saved person, those that understand where they are when they face the Lord, when they look and say, now my eye sees you, and therefore I retract and I repent. You see, God, I know now how you see me. And it's time for me to repent. When a sinner sees himself for what he is, then he can understand who God is and the power through his son Jesus Christ. You see, I want to share that with you this morning as an encouragement. I am no different than anybody else, and it's not about Chad. We all have things that's going on in our lives that bring us trouble. There's times it's going to bring us fear. And I believe everybody has struggles, they're just different. 
But we all have the tendency in our own flesh and self-reliance to turn from God instead of holding on to Him. And I want to encourage you today that you have a God that knows every aspect of your being. He knows what's going on. And let me give you another word of encouragement in closing. And how God used this to wake me up. You see, what's very interesting about this story with me this week is I have been trying for a long time. This church has been so good to me. So good to me. And I've been trying to work it out so I could go part-time. Trying to find insurance and stuff. And y'all know with insurance, that's a, that's a tough road to hoe. And I've been trying, and it just seems like I was hitting a brick wall. Every time I tried to do something and find something that we could afford and trying to make that transition. Well, as we're meeting with a surgeon Thursday, he walks into our room and he tells me and Tiffany, man, you all good. You've met your deductible. Now, I'm not trying to say that everything's going to be hunky-dory. But what I do know, if I'd have left, I wouldn't have been able to pay for it. I have to believe God knows what he's doing. And I want to encourage you, no matter where you are this morning, see the trees instead of the forest. One step at a time. You see, I really believe that God has a plan and purpose. I believe he has a reason. And I struggle, and I look, and I wonder... And I've even actually said to myself, God, why would you take my tongue? I don't understand. But what I do understand is Satan's allowed to touch us. Satan's allowed to do a lot of things. But I honestly believe, like C.S. Lewis said, that pain is God's megaphone. By that we hear the voice of God. And we understand that his ways are greater than our ways. You know, I don't know what you're going through today. It may not be sickness. It may be financial. It may be spiritual. I don't know where you stand. But I can assure you that like Job, that you need to see yourself for who you are. Do you totally depend on Christ or you speak flippantly about him? It's one thing to know Jesus, but it's another thing for Jesus to know you. Do you see yourself for how you really are? And understand in your own self that there's nothing that you can do to change any situation spiritually. Nothing at all. You can't raise the dead. You do not have that power. But understand this. Christ has the power to resurrect the dead. He has the power to heal. And he has the power to change situations. But understand this. Those situations were already planned to be changed. Do you hear me? Because God has a plan. And I honestly believe with all my heart that God is going to be glorified with or without us. 
But I want to be submissive to his will. And I pray that you are too. You see, understand everybody that there's no good. Only Christ that lives in us is good. And the rain and sun will rise and fall on the righteous and unrighteous. As we have learned in the book of Revelation, we have learned in the book of Daniel, we have learned throughout history in Genesis that those people that are righteous and unrighteous are affected by all things too. But God has a purpose. It is for His glory. And I pray that like Job, our eyes are opened up to be totally dependent on Him. And regardless of where the path may lead, that like James says, we consider the joy, not because our trial is going to be changed, but what God will sustain us through it. You see, Romans 8, 28 says, For God causes all things to work for good for those that love Christ and called according to His purpose. Now, I want to tell you in closing real briefly what that means. I've heard that too. That does not mean in context that God's going to give you a different situation. Please hear me. And so many times we rip that verse screaming out of its context. God causes all things good. God never promised to change our situation. He promised to sustain us through it. And the very purpose of that verse is not to get you out of a situation, but to draw you closer to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. And God, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. God, I thank you for everything that you have given us. And God, I thank you for this time we have together. Now, God, I know as this morning as we speak and as we sing that, Lord, I believe with all my heart that even with Chad being absent, that the Word of God will be sang and preached from this pulpit. I believe that we are a church that loves one another. And as Jimmy said at the beginning, we need to pray for one another. Lift one another up. We need each other. Lord, Hebrews 10, 25 tells us that we should not forsake the assembling of one another together. We need one another. Saints is not singular in the New Testament. It's plural. We need one another. Why? Because God, you have told us to be in community with one another. To lift one another up to rebuke one another, to hold one another accountable, to cry with those crying, laugh with those laughing, make somebody's journey a little bit lighter along the way. God, I thank you so much for your grace and mercy. I thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. God, I pray today, if there's not one that knows him today, that, Lord, you'd convict their heart before it's eternally too late. God, many people will cry out that they know you. And you will say at that day, depart from me, I never knew you. God, it's great that people believe in one God, that they believe in you. But Lord, do you know them? God, I pray today that salvation be first and foremost among everything that we speak. That God, people will be reconciled to you through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. God, I pray that Living Way Community Church would be a light to the community. That we would be an example. God, truth will be spoken regardless of who's standing up here, who sings, who greets at the back, who takes up offering, who counts money, who works with the children, that God, you would be represented in all aspects of our being for your glory. This is not an individuality group here. We're a family. 
And we're a family that's been transformed by your son, Jesus Christ. And God, I thank you for that. That's the question I was asked when I was on the mission field. Where are you from and why are you here? And I told him, I'm from Greer, South Carolina. But I'm here because one day Jesus Christ changed my life. And I pray that you have changed others and you will change others. And Lord, that we hold unswervingly to the faith that we profess for you that promised are faithful. And we'll give you all the praise and glory and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's worship together.